Hello and welcome to the Granter Podcast. I'm Ted Hodgkinson and today I'm delighted to be joined by Deborah Levy. We'll be discussing her novel Swimming Home, which was shortlisted for the Booker Prize. Deborah, thank you for joining me. I'm really glad that you've made it down to the basement. Um, sorry, it's a little uh, basementy down here. Um, it's my pleasure, Ted. I'm looking at a book now uh, on your shelf called How to Score. Um, and uh, my elbow is leaning against the bookcase as I squint at your other books here. At the full, at the full and change of the moon, and then stillness. So um, here we go. Um, I loved your novel, and one of the things I wanted to ask you about it. Um, several of the characters here seem to me to be caught in a moment that's extending and um, their, their lives, the sort of ontology of their lives has been arrested and they don't have the option of, of starting it again. Kitty wants her poem to be read and she wants some Kitty Finch um, who appears in the story um, in, a, in a sort of fantastical way uh, and, and then becomes um, one of the most deeply real and human characters in the story despite her sort of um, almost sort of Icarus-like like drop from the sky, almost. Um, there are several other characters who are in this stasis, in this moment of, of being halted. Um, and it's it struck me that this is kind of, in some ways, it's 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 um, a, a new or a, an unusual way of approaching writing about characters, because characters often, they, in many novels I can think of, there's a kind of, arc or, or, a, or a change or a shift or, um, and there is that in this novel but there's also a kind of um, limbo that they're stuck in and you seem to inhabit that limbo and expand it to the point of um, the breaking point would you say, that, is that something you've thought about when you've been writing? Yeah, I guess a character for me in the novel, I don't mean it actually the novel, I mean in the novels I write, um, they embody certain kinds of behaviours. And um, so behaviour is something that does change. Um, With Kitty Finch, when she arrives actually at the beginning of the book because I start with a, a kind of sneak view of the near future. Mm. That's the important thing, not the future, the near future. So the narrative design for time um, is something I was attempting that was new for me. It starts in a car on a mountain road in France before the novel starts. And I continue that scene in the car. We learn a little bit more each time it um, it, it emerges in, in the book, which is deceptively chronological. So I think time just before character, because in some strange way um, there's a con- connection there. Um, when I knew that I wanted to have a go at extending a moment like that car ride, and inserting it into the novel, uh, extending it 
as, mm. as it were, um, throughout the novel. I knew then that the rest of the novel had to be absolutely chronological. Mm. So that's why I start on Saturday and days are actually named. Um, when Kitty Finch um, is spotted in the pool and she is thought to be a bear, I guess that's when character starts for me because she's imagined to be something feral and probably she what what is feral is the imaginations of all the characters projecting something that Kitty Finch might be so that's when we get to kind of um, meet their imagination I think it's the imaginations of characters I'm interested in because um, that's what I'm interested in that's what interests me about most people and that is a movable feast as we know um, so you know there she is a bear and then we have the we, we have Nina the 14 year old who absolutely understands what's happening there and that the men are, are sexually quite excited by the sight of this naked woman in the pool of course it's a woman, of course she's swimming um, on her stomach like a starfish and oh she's about to to get out and we know that Isabel catches Fit Kitty Finch <clears throat> she dives in and catches her um, almost as if she's going to she's caught her and, and she's going to pull her into this web mm. so uh, everything that I could possibly do with character starts on that first day Saturday um, and that beginning took me longer to write than almost the entire novel. Mm. Once one draft after draft to get that right, to get that rupture in time right. To and after that, I think that that must have almost taken me something like seven months, just ridiculous amount of time. And I couldn't work out why it mm. was so hard. And it was to do with character and time. And after that, everything flowed quite easily. One of the one of the tragedies it seems for me, Kitty Finch, is that, as you say, she is she's sort of a lightning rod, or she's symbolic of so many things. To um, there's some there are elements of her appearance which which seem um, um, almost mythological. The color of her hair, her fingernails, her um, her sort of um, freakishly sort of perfect physique, and she almost sort of. Like a demigod who's dropped down, and and but one of the um, one of the great sadnesses of of her is that she seems to be comp continually subjected to these kinds of projections from the other characters. So that we only really learn about her depression and her. Obviously, that sort of flares up, and I'm, I don't want to give too much away. Yes. Um, but I I wonder. Um, when you're writing a character like that, is there a um, is is something that interests you watching the difference between appearances, which are so uh, they're so vivid here and they're so kind of gorgeously described, um, and and how the how the characters around her then 
sort of it, it sort of turns into a pecking party at points. You know, there's there's a sort of way everyone wants their version of Kitty, and they're not, and they're often very different. You know, Isabel, the wife, it wants her for a certain reason. The, her husband sees her as a certain kind of reader in a way, in a certain kind of um, almost nymphette, I suppose, in, in a certain kind of way. Um, her tragedy seems to be that everybody wants her for a different part of a different fragment and that male gaze that you mentioned there's a moment when she's on the um, beachside naked and male gazes in this book seem very dangerous indeed (laughs) well Kitty Finch is as you rightly point out mythological and also very modern so she's the daughter of the woman who cleans the villa and she is apparently fragile. She's a bit noisily unhinged. But I wanted to create that noise for the reader because that might be a false scent. So that there was something uh, quite interesting in, um, in that for me. Uh, in fact, she's fiercely clever. She is too raw. She is too truthful. She says what she thinks and that is unsettling for everyone else. She really does stare back at those tourists who gaze upon her and she tells them what she sees. She says to Mitchell, you should stop killing things, Mitchell. Uh, you'll be happier, something like that. Actually, I might have just made up that bit. About I, no, I think she... Does she actually she, say I think she says something... I'm pretty sure she said something to that effect. You should stop killing <laughs> Got things. Got to the stage now where I'm actually making up new lines <laughs> for my characters. I don't know, quite know. Maybe <laughs> she definitely says something to him like that, though. She says to him, "Why don't you stop killing things? It'll, it'll, you know, you, you might feel better." Or, you know, something like that. I can't remember that. Um, and um, you can, if anyone can make up their lines, you can. Yeah, I can make up new lines now. <laughs> and uh, Mitchell. Mm. doesn't see Kitty as beautiful that stupid word beautiful isn't it he, mm. he sees her as uh, looking rather ragged like like some, like someone begging outside a supermarket with a homeless and hungry sign so you know it's difficult to, it is difficult to or perhaps interesting is the word interesting mm. to figure um, out this beauty thing, isn't it? Joe uh, finds her desirable. She is a sort of muse, but she embodies a death wish mm. that he harbours. And Kitty, who believes she's in telepathy with Joe, uh, says, You know, I've come to France to save you, and we're never quite sure until we get further on into the novel what it is Mm. that she's come to save him from and um, so the death wish has given a a bit of an airing in swimming home Um, yes and there is I don't want to uh, don't want to say too much about the um, what happens in the end but there is this um, echoing of that first scene in a sense particularly the bear um, element of their appearance or her appearance at first and Joe's appearance in the end and um, it's interesting that in both cases and both of them are very um, there's a sinister 
no, particularly to the last scene, of course, but um, both of them are mistaken for bears at different points. Yeah, the um, I think why the first chapter in the novel took so long, almost as long as some people take to write a novel, you know, mm. um, is trying to understand that bear making that decision, apart from it being quite enjoyable. Mm to uh, have a bear in a swimming pool. That really does come from a, a, a story that I read about an actor finding a, in Hollywood finding a bear in his pool and calling the authorities and it's sedated. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. That story about the bear just never went away. It lingered and I, I, I knew I was going to use it. But hmm. it occurred to me when I got into I got towards the end why that bear was so important and why that first chapter Saturday takes so long something is lost and it comes down from the woods and, and, and the woods are quite an important mm. place in my book um, I never know really whether we should just go for it never mind the spoilers or what I, I, I totally up to you sometimes it's very hard to really have uh, an interesting conversation if we don't do spoilers I've, I've, I've avoided it so far because I thought well uh, given that it took so long to construct and embed the right signs into this book it's, and I want the readers I want readers to just have as much pleasure as they could possibly have reading it, it would be a shame to do that and on the other hand it kind of stops a really interesting intellectual conversation. <laughs> so maybe well, we'll go. Shall we do a middle ground? Yes. Here? I mean, we can always put a spoiler alert on the, you know, at the top on the. So mm. you know, don't listen to this if you want to avoid okay. knowing what happens. So the bear in the pool. Something mm. is. So, something gets lost. It happens to be a bear. Mm. It comes down from the woods. It swims. It's found. It's sedated. And Joe spends a very long time figuring out how it gets home. How do you get home if you're sedated with a tranquilizer dart? Mm. What kind of state are you going to be in when you get home? So all the themes of, say, painkillers, by which I mean the pharmaceuticals yes, that are referred to. Yeah. yeah, you know, you give me your history and I'll give you something to take it away. That's what Joe's Hungarian doctor says to him yeah. when he asks Joe uh, for some biography, the name of your mother, the name of your father. Mm. Um, and so th those themes are all there in the sedated bear. And also Kitty's um, diagnosis, exactly. uh, you know, her, her antidepressants, which she, she comes off because um, she wants that that sensation back but yeah she wants to she, she she wonders if it would be interesting to feel miserable again so to feel something again I think swimming home is about not feeling things rather than feeling things mm. we all put a great deal of our life's energy into not feeling things mm. and um, so what do we replace 
what we replace those feelings with. I think swimming home kind of asks that question, unfolds it, mm. critiques it. I think one of the things that it does um, is to, to show that drama playing out in the interior of the characters. You mentioned earlier that you're interested in the um, sort of imaginative lives of your, your characters and that what I thought was extraordinary was the way that you move between the characters and, and find that there are dramas unfolding, sort of untold dramas unfolding in the sort of nexus of those characters. In, and, and often, as you say, it's about trying to stabilise the situation and, and, and sort of neuter the situation and their inabilities to do that because there's this, this wave kind of building through their lives that they, in some ways personified by Kitty Finch, but through themselves as well and through their interactions with each other. Yes, there's a slow, accelerating panic in the sunshine hmm. that I wanted to create while characters just get on with the everyday because the past which Joe is in conversation with um, and referred to by his daughter at the end of the book intrudes on the everyday not in dramatic ways hmm. in um, you know if you think about aspects of your past and ex experience it, it, it's not dramatic it sort of comes back when you're on a walk or Mm. boiling a kettle or I don't know, th th there's some trigger so I don't have any drama in the everyday mm. if you like or um, reading how to score yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know um, with Isabel the drama is again uh, with Isabel I explore what do we do with knowledge because depression, as I understand it in Swimming Home, uh, is about having knowledge we'd rather not have, um, knowledge that's unacceptable, unacceptable to us, to the characters. They, they, they cannot bear to know what they know. In the war correspondence case, Isabel, she's been pressed quite close to the suffering world and her work. Um, she has witnessed catastrophe and she records it in her own words to make people remember Joe, who is also Joseph, has experienced political and historical catastrophe and he wants to forget. Um, so knowledge being something that we are encouraged to acquire mm. is quite hard to live with says swimming home and um, later Isabel thinks about the school motto yes her school in, in Cardiff and the, the motto on the girls jackets is let knowledge serve the world mm. and she reckons well you know would she change that motto now well would does knowledge necessarily make us happy um, and the and she comes to the conclusion that, yeah, knowledge might not necessarily make us happy, but when the clever young women of Cardiff Grammar School get a taste for it, they'll find it hard to put the genie back in the bottle. Mm. There's, a, there's a moment when, um, towards the end of the novel, uh, Isabel 
there, there's a discussion of Kitty's beauty and and um, Kitty and Isabel says yes she is beautiful and as the line that follows is that she said the sentence awkwardly as if she was scared of it and there's that sense of of revelation being both yes you know seized and dropped immediately like ah it's hot you know I, I can't hold that I like that in fiction that's something I want to develop too where you seize a revelation and drop it immediately mm. and, and change the subject and move on and then revisit it uh, mm. revisit the revelation um, I guess uh, with Swimming Home I really wanted to kind of master omission in a narrative mm. um and that, and, and see what that reveals, and that's the hard bit because omission is just omission, isn't it? But then, you know, what you leave out has to reveal something else, and um, I think I found a way to do that. Actually, I think I found a techniques to do things that are really hard in swimming home. I don't know. Um, I didn't know when I was writing it that. I wanted to master um, the technique of narrative silence, if you like, and just see how much more it revealed. I just didn't know that's what I wanted to do, but it became clear this was the case. Um, and of course there's that discussion that Joe has with himself after he's read three lines of Kitty Finch's poem in which he, he talks about the word etc hmm. and the poem Swimming Home after which uh, my novel is named Kitty's catastrophic poem is full of etc and each etc conceals something that cannot be said it occurred to me that one could write an amazing poem with lots of etc in it and it would actually reveal a great deal I might have to I might have to do that quite separately from, from this book Yes, I wondered if if it had sparked any, or that that there was a poem that that was sort of running alongside the novel. I mean, can you say a little more about the technique? Because it's fascinating. I wonder how that manifested in the writing process, and how you um, is it as you say, omission is just omission. But are you visualizing those omissions? Are you are you almost writing the things you're not writing, as it were? And you know that that there's a kind of silent writing process going along with the, with the actual words on the page as well, as in stories that that lie behind, um, you know, the the, the 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 kind of I suppose the the um, the parallel to Kitty's novel, uh, Kitty's poem, being kept in that envelope throughout, or even though we've read parts of it through, through the book, is there? Is there another swimming home in an envelope that, that's, <laughs> you know... Um, another swimming home in the... Only in the envelope of the reader's mm. mind, actually. Um, I think that the readers who've gone back to swimming home, who have read it twice, um, have told me in the, in the long signing queues, in the kind of two months of, of the booker mm -hmm. that it was a pleasure to go back and actually be 
um, <laughs> one man described it to me as sort of being a detective this time. He said mm. he didn't start off wanting to be a detective. Who does? You know, unless you've got a, a calling. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> it's a strange profession to find yourself in, I guess. Yeah. But he said that actually, you know, it, he, he just found himself going back and then back and then back to go forward. And it was, um, and that was very rewarding to, to hear because, I, again, I didn't want it to be um, particularly showy. Mm. You know, it, it was. It was very important to me that Swimming Home wasn't a satire. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, oh, the middle class novel, and it could be Tuscany, but strangely enough, it's not. And then someone else saying, no, it's a bit cubist. Um, it's, uh, isn't it strange that middle class novel thing? Because the, the 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 holiday. Yeah. What do you? How do you react to that? I just have to put up with it, and I don't mind because I believe that the sort of but everything else that is in Swimming Home does actually come crawling up through the plug hole, if, if you mm. like, and it's designed to do that. Um, I think that um, maybe the press got sort of carried away with the, oh, it's a, it appears to be uh, a middle-class villa holiday uh, part because it's not a satire. Satire is my comfort zone. I could have run for cover for satire, but that's not what I wanted to do. It's also not irony. It is near irony, which I think is Tom McCarthy's description in um, the afterward. In the afterward. Mm. Uh, a near irony is quite hard to do too. Not that I set out to do near irony, but um, I didn't want to run either to irony or to satire. There's, there's no one in this novel who I want to hang out to dry or, or attack. Uh, that's not my game mm. in, in, in this book. But I think that confuses um, perhaps uh, certain kinds of readers who, who would expect a uh, holiday in a villa, in a posh villa in the south of France, to be more satirical. Mm. It, it it doesn't reduce easily to any of the the elements that are in the novel. I mean, the one the one um, something that I felt aware of was the sort of mythic component um, from Kitty to down down to small, seemingly at first anyway, um, innocuous objects that become very charged with a kind of mythic portent. You know, there's those blue sugar mice that that um yes. that sort of seem alive uh, and Nina's playing with one at the end and th there's there is something very mythic or fairy tale about those those mice you know the way that they are witnesses to um spoiler alert but witnesses to things yes. and um and but also that extraordinary pebble that acts yes. as a kind of kaleidoscope. There's this pebble the size of a, a kitty's hand that has a hole in the centre, just um, for those who haven't read it. And it's um, with a circle which... Um, and is used sort of for a moment as a sort of um, eyepiece to look through. Um, and this isn't, simply, this isn't simply writing objects 
as you know with with sort of weight or quiddity or whatever it, this is these objects are characters that 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 um that come into the story yes absolutely objects in my novel are what they are and they also something else so the pebbles that kitty collects on the beach with nina have holes in the middle of them she picks them up she looks through them as if they're a kind of telescope mm. um is that the right word telescope I binoculars yeah i was um, sort of thinking of it as a kaleidoscope a kaleidoscope yeah. and um Obviously, these pebbles have significance later because um, they are used to do something, and Nina is involved in collecting them. And um, now you see, here's a spoiler alert. Why don't we just? We could just talk about it, but unfortunately, I think it's I just okay sort of if you feel want it to. So it's such a diff. It's just difficult, isn't it? it so, the, so these objects, the, these pebbles. Um, become instruments. So these, so these pebbles that Nina collects, um, are used by another character to do something that will really upset Nina. Mm. The use of the pebbles. I was thinking about Barbara Hepworth's sculptures. She's one of my most famous. She's one of my most. Barbara Hepworth is one of my favourite sculptors, and um, actually, I'd love to read something home in her museum in St Ives. So, with mm. her pierced sculptures, she did something amazing. She, we 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 have the reality of the stone. And then she just punched her fist through it, as it were, so we could look at something else too. And mm. I reference this in that scene with with Kitty and Nina on the beach in Nice. Mm. It's interesting. I I wonder about the the other influences in the book because you know um, you mentioned Tom McCarthy's um, introduction slash afterward. Um, and he he cites a lot of your um, uh, how he he sees it as your influences, and and there've been there's been much uh, in in reviews of the book and so on. There've been many sort of um, spottings of different influences, and you know sometimes compared to Angela Carter, and um, which I think there's some resonance there. But the book also um, resists those kinds of. I, it feels to me like it resists a lot of those. Um, groupings, which is a good thing, would you say? Yes, I do think it's a good thing. As I suppose the writer that's influenced me most is Marguerite Duras. Mm. Um, she might be the best writer in the world, Duras. I'd, I'd be disappointed if that's the case, because then my search is over. But sometimes I, I have this really gloomy feeling. It might be, might be the case. Mm. Um, no, uh, with Swimming Home, I was aware that I was making something new, something that I didn't understand. I had to find techniques. I'd been writing a very long time, you know. Uh, my first novel was published when I was 27, and I'm, and I'm now 53. I'm just not interested in any kind of 
comfort zone mm. as a writer. Just at this point in my life, um, the thing that will keep me pinned to my writing desk is um, are some of the techniques that I discovered in Swimming Home. I don't even know if they're new, they're just new for me. And um, I needed to mix modernism and realism. Modernism is my comfort zone. Realism, I've never done it. So there we go. Mm. It has its place it, in, in Swimming Home and uh, it creates quite an uncanny atmosphere which is believable. That's very important to me, you know. It, 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 um, that was something I, I discovered how to do. Um, hmm. it's, it's interesting that you kind of, um, that you're uh, avoiding any one sort of um, style or genre. Um, and one of the things that, that interests me about the character of Joe, um, in the poet, sort of the more um, established, let's say, poet in the novel, because I think there are several, um, Kitty is, in Joe's mind, a poet, but, but also someone who, whose poetry is, is finding ways to live, he says, you know, that, that it's, a, it's a poetry about excavating different ways of living. And your point Let's about find that section because yeah. I haven't been asked that before. That's that's such an interesting question. They're in the car, aren't they? Yeah, it, and uh, it's the last the last section in the car, and he says something like, "Don't give me a, a poem when what you're asking me for is reasons to live." Is that right? Yeah, this is it. I think um, it's dishonest to ask. That. Yes, please. That'd be great. That would be great because I, I have never read that before. And thank you so much for pointing that out. Well, Let's see. It struck me that maybe that was that avoiding a comfort zone for your in your own writing is is in some ways you know. Kitty is trying to find that way of living without being in a comfort zone as well, and I, there's something quite powerful there. Joe heard himself say, "Why don't you pack a rucksack and see the poppy fields in Pakistan, like you said you wanted to?" Yes, she said. "Will you come with me?" He lifted his arm that had been resting on her shoulders and gazed at the words she had written on his hand, and gazed at the words she she. He lifted his arm that had been resting on her shoulders and gazed at the word she had written on his hand. He had been branded as cattle are branded to show who they belong to. She was driving too fast on this road that had once been a forest. Early humans had lived in it. They studied fire and the movement of the sun. They read the clouds and the moon and tried to understand the human mind. His father had tried to melt him into a Polish forest when he was five years old. Joe knew he must leave no trace or trail of his... Oh. <clears throat> his father had tried to melt him into a Polish forest when he was five years old. He knew he must leave no trace or trail of his existence because he must never find his way home. That was what his father had told him.
you cannot come home. This was not something possible to know, but he had to know it all the same. Why haven't you read my poem? My sweetheart is what Kitty Finch heard him say as she pressed her white shoes on the brake. The car lurched towards the edge of the mountain. His voice was truly tender when he said, My sweetheart, something had changed in his voice. Her head was buzzing as if she had knocked back 15 espressos one after the other. She turned the engine off, pulled the handbrake up and leaned back in her seat. At last, he was talking to her about her poem. It's dishonest to give me a poem and pretend to want my opinion when what you really want are reasons to live or reasons not to die. You want reasons to live too, Kitty Finch said. He leaned towards her and kissed her eyes first the left and then the right, as if she was already a corpse. I'm not the right reader for your poem, Kitty. You know that. One of the things that we get there is that Joe has changed his identity too, he's changed his name, yes. he's, he's lost in some ways, and the that gorgeous, um, his father who tried to melt him into a Polish forest, um, that... Um, it's interesting how images of water and images of of liquid um, emerge in the book. Yes. You know that liquid is both this element of displacement. Isabel wants to be loved. She says at one point by Joe, by her husband, like rain. Yes. Uh, and and Kitty has obviously got this great affinity with with the pool and with with swimming. Um, this this is when I think both of them to me, this is how I read it, this is when both of them discover what they've been so fascinated with each other. Absolutely right. They are both um, drawn to the same things, so we're going obscure here because we don't want to, because, spoiler alert, mm -hmm. um, at this moment in the car, they level, they equal. And if Joe says to Kitty, well, you've given me a poem, but what you re really want are reasons to live. <coughs> you've given me a poem, but what you really want are reasons to live or reasons not to die. And she says, and you too. But actually, there's a debate about writing there because perhaps writing is always about reasons to live or reasons not to die something like that and um, Kitty's picked up on this she's an astute reader of his work uh, I leave it debatable um, for readers is she a great poet we don't know but I, I've had um, readers come back at me and say do you know I, I think um, you absolutely think she is because the three lines you give us of her poem I like those and I think you wanted us to like those and you mentioned Apollinaire yes. and I know you like Apollinaire and um, 
so uh, we have that omission too mm. you know it doesn't matter though um, whether she's a genius or not what matters is what she's picked up in Joe's poetry uh, which is a wish perhaps to do something dangerous and she shares that wish uh, with him. Freud was very interested in telepathy but he he didn't fess up to it because he thought it might just ruin his career. He'd um, spent all those years doing a medical training and then uh, in which he dissected 400 species of eel and I guess the idea then once you have uh, began an avant-garde conversation about the mind, which is what psychoanalysis is. He thought telepathy might just sink him, uh, but he was he was very mm. interested. Mm. Um, did he find anything in the eels, or was did he? I mean, w d the communication centres. Oh, I think that's very confusing. No, he wasn't dissecting eels just. Oh. to sort of find out something about telepathy. That was my fault. Oh. That, that's a great idea. That, that's a really good idea. I think that's the next novel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Found it! Um, no, it's, it's, it was something that's always made me laugh that he had to do as mm. part of his medical training. I'd always remembered it. 400 species of eels. Couldn't be more Freudian. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I just want to ask you about... Um, uh, just to go back a tiny bit to Kitty um, mm. and her poetry, there's a wonderful bit in the book when, I forget who says this, if it's in the narrative or if it's Joe says this, that she was a poem herself, uh, yeah. in a sense, and that, that that was the interesting, you know, that the, the Apollinaire that she quotes that's her favourite is a physical thing. It's it's, yes. it's raining, and it's it's raining that she writes on his hand as a sort of tattoo. Um that is um all of her poetry is 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 a physical poetry yes there, there isn't really anything abstract in swimming home it's mm. full of experimental thinking mm. but there's nothing abstract and um mm. that that's just a very important part of the of the book's atmosphere and i think why it has reached so many readers um, yes. Wonderful. Well, I I think we're gonna have to wind things up, but it's, it's um, great pleasure talking to you about the book. Thank you, Ted. Thank you for your great questions. <laughs>